No, absolutely. It, uh, you know, morning mornings around here are, uh, majestic in the midwest oh, especially yeah. on you know 20 degree days mm, yeah beautiful mm. especially when it goes from 75 to 20 in like an hour that was cool. yeah yeah that was it was definitely cool that's for sure <laughs> I, I would even say cold maybe. oh snap that's cold fool See, right. I got the jokes. You you got the singing. I got the jokes. So mm. together, we're a comedy music duo. Wow. Just like Weird Al, except that he's only one person. <laughs> yeah, he's one person. But if you split him in half, he would be two people. So oh, yeah. we're like Weird Al if he was split in half. That's what we are. <laughs> Accelerative Thrust. My name is Dan. And I'm Eric. And we are disintegrating in thin air. Yeah. As we speak. Yeah, I don't do sound effects. I usually don't. Just like wow. I can't do, I cannot for the life of me figure out how people do imitations of other people. Oh. Like, hmm. seriously, like every imitation that I've tried yeah. uh, just ends up sounding like yeah, you know, uh, I heard Robert Smith from The Cure talking the other day about Friday I'm in Love, and and uh, this is what he said. Yeah, yeah, I wrote Friday I'm in Love. You know what I mean? Like, I remember I was leaving uh, our friend Tim. I was leaving uh, for a long time. I would leave uh, messages on uh, his voicemail, and every single time I would say I was like a different celebrity. Oh, like, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, this is Steve Albini. <laughs> I was just calling to see if uh, you wanted to hang out with my friend Dan Orr tonight. Uh, I can't hang out because I'm busy recording the new Jesus Lizard, you know, something like that. Yeah. And, and um, did he believe it? Well, he, he would be like, you know, it's weird. All these, like, all of my musical heroes are calling me and they all have the same Southern voice. <laughs> I never would have guessed. And that's seriously how I would do it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, Robert Smith from The Cure. I'm glad you're my friend. <laughs> or, or, well, not my friend, Dan's friend. Uh, I, I'm just glad you really like my uh, music and uh, Paul Westerberg's music, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I don't know where I'm going this morning, Eric. I'm sorry. This is, that uh, doesn't matter to me. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just here for the ride. You, know. mm. you got to be. This is uh, mm, it's, you gotta it's be a bold. Absolutely. Got to be wiser. <clears throat> Did any news catch your uh, your eyes recently well, or anything? As far as the actual news, oof, I don't know. Did you see anything? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw something that was kind of interesting. Uh -oh. um, okay, so the story is Nurgle, who is from the band Behemoth. You know the band Behemoth? I've heard the, of the band Behemoth, yeah. the the They're a black metal band. I'm not familiar with them in any mm -hmm. way whatsoever, um, other than just their name and Anyway, uh, he said that uh, you should not, his advice to young musicians is an artist, do not start a band. Uh, hmm. There's too many bands out there right now. Do you really want to contribute to uh, a culture that's just not going to listen to your music and it's going to be lost in the realm of, you know, 
blah, blah, blah. But then he, his advice was get a proper job, go to college, <laughs> get an education. Basically he yeah. was saying stuff that like our parents were telling us, <laughs> you know, yeah. at age 18 or whatever. Well, and, um, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 interesting hearing that come from like a black metal singer, like um, vocalist or whatever. And uh, I don't know. I I can see his point to a certain extent, uh, but I can't help also like sort of like picturing some old guy pointing his finger at like the young kids or something yeah. like you don't want to get into this lifestyle. It's kind of like, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of like, hmm. I, I know I've referenced this movie before young guns. Yes. Um, <laughs> young guns too. Uh, you know, Emilio Estevez played Billy the kid. And there was a, uh, a younger kid who was aspiring to be just like Billy the kid. In other words, a mass murderer. As he was portrayed <laughs> in the movie. He like showed him like a like this shot, this gunshot that he had, and he's all like, "You want this? You want this life? <laughs> you know, every single time you go outside, there's people, you know, pulling the triggers and coming after you. Is that what you want?" <laughs> that was stuff. That's yeah. kind of what you know this sounds yeah. like to me. Uh, what do you think? I don't. I don't disagree. I mean, I got to be honest. Uh, here's the thing: is I think I just read through the article real fast. Um, it feels like to me, like someone who doesn't really even understand how things work currently and basically is saying, don't, don't get into the same game I got into, but right. That game doesn't exist anymore. And everyone sure. making music knows that like, he's basically saying, don't start a band. If you, think you're going to sell records and go on tour and and live off of it which right, i right, totally right. agree with but i yes new artists aren't thinking that way anyway they know that this isn't going to be their livelihood i mean yeah anyone going into making music right now that is thinking oh i'm going to i'm going to be one of the, one of the ones that this is the rest of my life and this is how i live and earn money and make a living and all that you know there, no one's thinking that way anymore anyway. So I don't know. It's, it just seems kind of like an old guy getting mad at about things that don't actually even exist anymore. So, you know, okay. Yeah. And you know, I never, I never looked at it through, through that set of eyes. That's actually a very well, well thought out response for having just read the article, Eric. That, <laughs> well, like, that's just how it came. No, out. I mean, that's my hot I take. Mean, you know, I mean, yeah, no, seriously, though, that's um because that makes sense. Um, He uh he isn't saying don't start a band and don't upload to Bandcamp or something. Right. But what he's saying is, is don't. And I guess this is for me. I probably didn't actually read the article in full. Well, no, there's no probably about it. I, I pretty much just like read the <laughs> the headline and I kind of skimmed through it. But I, I guess yeah. I missed that part where he was talking about, <clears throat> do you really think that you're going to make money doing this? Because at this yeah. point, um, and really, it's kind of always been that way anyway, if you really kind of look at the, the grand scheme of things. Um, sure. Because even in the 80s, it was all about, well, we're going to try and get a deal. We're going to try and get right. signed. 
And it was only a one in a million chance that you were going to do that anyway. So even then um, it was just a different, a different set of rules, a different, um, a different method. Uh, Most bands were not making money off of their music even back then. And I think that it personally, I think it's really liberating for new artists and people making music. Now it's like, Honestly, this is going to sound so stupid, but I mean, you were there too in the mm-hmm. late 90s, mid to late 90s. You really did. That was part of your trajectory that you would make a demo and send it somewhere and try to get signed onto a record label. And then they would pay for your recording. And then you would have an album out. And then you would go on tour to support it. Like saying that out loud makes me feel like really stupid for thinking that that could have happened but that's how everyone thought every local small band whatever people getting started that was the plan and it was like if you didn't do that then you weren't going to be successful and what was the point sort of but now no everyone knows they're not going to get signed (laughs) and so they're actually a lot of people are creating music because they want to do it, you know? So in response to the behemoth guy (laughs) from the band Behemoth, I don't know how big he actually is. uh, I would say to everyone to start a band because what do you have to lose? It doesn't cost anything. I mean, not really to get a Bandcamp page. You can use a Walkman to record everything. Who cares? You don't have to live up to anything. I think it's, I think it's an amazing time to make music personally. I, I couldn't agree more. And also, um, I think that honestly, where we are right now, we have independent punk labels such as Discord mm-hmm. Records to thank for this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some people would would say, oh, well, you can thank Discord Records for the way, you know, the, I guess, quote unquote, music industry is today and nobody's making money. Mm-hmm. But when you really think about it, though, discord records and that's just i mean there's alternative tentacles there's mm-hmm. amphetamine reptile ipecac there's all kinds of labels that you could point to um sst whatever um they were kind of like the sort of in a weird sort of way they were kind of like the 80s 90s versions of like band camp before there was like digital streaming like mm-hmm. you, you see can, what i'm saying i can see the comparison sure yeah Absolutely. they kind of i mean the but discord just ended up selling a lot of records kind of by default i think you know mm-hmm. or what or even alternative tentacles because the bands that were the flagship bands whether it's minor threat or the dead kennedys or black flag mm-hmm. ended up becoming legacy bands that ended up Mm -hmm. being a huge influence on the next generation yeah and so i think we're kind of keeping that sort of um we're kind of keeping that sort of thing alive because i i i think um uh there's a lot of things that become very influential to the next generation that kind of started with maybe just somebody who was just recording their stuff in the bedroom and putting stuff Mm-hmm. online like you know like before spotify and before Bandcamp was really a thing mm-hmm. you know you had 
artists putting like digital albums out on like their own websites, you know, things like that. And so I think kind of discord and just DIY labels in general, um, I think have a lot to do with why, why it's even possible for us to release music the way we are. And I I think it's kind of cool too, because uh, this is something I've thought about just a little. um, So I'll try to put it into words. Uh, I also think those small labels, it's they're kind of like um like a time bomb if that makes any sense like a so black coat white shoes black yeah hat, time Cadillac, bomb yeah <laughs> the boys a time bomb yeah anyway Sorry. Um, <laughs> but it's like it influences a small group of people at first and then it just kind of grows exponentially and it's funny because the things that were coming out at a certain point might be the main influence on on music in like 20 30 years because that's when it finally makes it to everyone you know i guess i'm i mean i'm thinking of sst to an extent you know like ultimately every punk in the world has a black flag tattoo right but for a while it was pretty condensed and it took a long time to get that far but right I also think of like digital hardcore, like I don't, maybe I'm wrong and maybe it's because it's all I have in my mind to, to compare things to, but that's the reach of digital hardcore that the label seems to just be growing more and more. And I hear more and more music that uh, in one way or another owes kind of its whole deal to those records, you know, like, Mm -hmm. But I think it's because it took a long time for it to reach everyone. And I think that's kind of cool. A kind of a cool byproduct of the small independent labels. I don't know. Sure. And I also think that another thing that has happened that is making those types of records and those types of artists, for example, Kill Alters is mm-hmm. who we just reviewed, is somebody who comes to mind. It's now more possible than ever and actually almost almost a necessity in in a lot of ways for people to use digital instruments mm-hmm. as opposed to analog instruments especially if you're like recording music just from your bedroom and so like bands like i don't know big black comes to mind for instance mm-hmm. um I feel we're kind of ahead of their time with the use of the drum machine because uh, now it's like a bunch of projects or whatever you want to call them are forming Mm -hmm. where they're using drum machines and, you know, guitars and plugging them straight into the computers to record them. So it literally is like this digital hardcore, not only the sound, but the experience, you know? Right. And so I think kind of like the, acceptance of synthesizers and drum machines um because i mean in the 80s i i was too young to realize this but in the 80s and 90s especially i do remember this in the 90s it was kind of frowned upon whenever there were synthesizers or drum machines we always talked about the pulsars and how mm-hmm. nobody really caught on to the pulsars because mm-hmm. of their use of drum machines and synthesizers and stuff you know yeah and that I think that was because in the nineties it was frowned upon. It was supposed to be more 
quote unquote organic and, and, you know, right. drum machines and um, synthesizers were kind of thought of as like cold and inhuman. And now I think yeah. th- there's sort of a combination thing going on where people are embracing sort of like the new wave uh, mechanical robotic sounds of the eighties and kind of mixing it with the organic um if you want to call it that, that's really for lack of a better term, but organic alternative full band rock sounds in the nineties or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, especially in the nineties, like it was all about um, like authenticity, you know, it was like, I don't know, like we climbed out of the dirt with this guitar on our back (laughs) (laughs) and we're just going to write about our feelings and, and stuff because that's real and all you know everything else is like culture club or cindy lopper you know i think that's how they thought right. anything with the synthesizer and so right you know it was like neil young even though he loved synthesizer i think that he became sort of you know a blueprint for how to how to be a grunge or whatever sure and which and is that, which that is... didn't include big drum machines and synths and stuff so just a kind of a blueprint but yeah, I think that it was just seen as inauthentic. You know, yeah. it was like the same yeah. as wearing eyeliner. It was just like that was gone. And then here's the the new dirt sound. You know? But then, <laughs> but then something ha- something else was going mm-hmm. on in the '90s that, which was like the industrial scene, mm-hmm. which was like you know, For sure. Nine Inch Nails, and then of course mm-hmm. Marilyn Manson, where the eyeliner suddenly became trendy again. Yeah. And, and now in the sense in the sense and it all yeah yeah it's it, it always happens full circle like i kind of wonder if like there there's going to be a time in the future where everyone's going to revert back to like the basic like guitar bass drums singing about feelings you know what i mean i, I yeah. wonder if there's ever like a there's even like a possibility for that to ever happen not that think, i'm hoping yeah. for it because i I want everything to exist, you know? I, I think but, it's going to be hard for it to happen on uh, an all-encompassing level, like grunge right. did, you know? Right. Like, I still think guitar-based rock music is huge. I mean, Rock 108 Absolutely. never runs out of songs to play, so... Right, but... but <laughs> For better rock, rock 108. Well, Rock 108 plays classic rock, though, so any... yeah for the most part so it's like as far as like if you're talking about radio rock radio Mm -hmm. rock is still stuck um pretty much no later than the 90s yeah true radio rock is you know uh you can see it on the festivals Mm -hmm. i think we talked about this that who are the biggest headliners they're bands that have yeah i don't know dinosaur junior it's weird Mm -hmm. to call somebody like dinosaur junior classic rock but let's be real or, you know, I don't know, even like ACDC is still headlining rock festivals, you know? Yeah. But then you look at rap True. festivals and it's, you know, the headliners are actually like current, you know? Yeah. And in fact, with rap, it's the opposite. You're you're going to have head the headliner be somebody like, I don't know, who's the most current, like, I, I don't know, we'll just say like, 
Uh, I can't think of anybody off the Houdini. murder <laughs> Houdini. The, the freaks come out at night. Yeah, that's the, uh, okay. as modern that's, as rap gets. Just yeah, yeah, record. that's. The, and it never went beyond that. Nope, it didn't. Uh, no, I, I was gonna say I don't know. Just off the bat, right. um, thinking like Lil Uzi Vert or something, mm-hmm. which and maybe maybe that's even dated at this point. Um, but like that's just slip off the mind but then you're gonna have somebody like that be the headliner but then you're gonna have like wu-tang clan kind of be like the support on those festivals you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah. unless it's like unless like wu-tang clan gets back together to perform like 36 chambers in its entirety then maybe they'll do something like that or wouldn't it be cool if the grave diggers got back together to uh yeah play six feet deep and full that would you be know? cool I would, I would, I would want to go see that. It would be interesting for sure. So oh. I'll, t- I'll take your line. So grave diggers, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead grave- and do that, and uh, and I'll, I'll pay forty dollars. So you could, you could earn up to forty dollars if you do it. <laughs> you're, you're giving Riza and Prince Paul <laughs> financial advice. Yeah. Hey, you want to make forty dollars? Who, who else was in that group? It was Riza, Prince Paul, and who were the other? There's like two other members, right? Uh, I don't know who the real people are. Okay, like, I, I, I know only their, know their grave digging names, you know. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I know Riza and Prince Prince Paul were both in it. Like Riza, yeah, but he wasn't Prince, Prince Paul in Grave Digger. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't had, his name. They yeah. had like horrorcore names, right? Yeah, like yeah, gotcha, like. Violent J and no, their names Shaggy were not Violent J. It was Prince Paul as the Undertaker, mm-hmm. Fru Quan as the Gatekeeper, mm-hmm. Too Poetic is the Grim Reaper, and the Resurrector is Riza. Okay, yeah, huh? Interesting. So the only two like really big names are Prince Paul and Riza. I, yeah. I don't know who the other two guys are. Um, Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know them. I don't know too poetic. Yeah, but, no, I uh, I love I love I love the grave diggers. Yeah, no, you've <laughs> you've mentioned this and I, I haven't de- uh delved into that record enough. Uh, uh so I'm gonna have to do that because I I do like uh I I've always been intrigued <clears throat> by that album cover. I remember like yeah. I would always see it at Music Land mm. and it made me laugh. Grave diggers, you know what I mean, sort of thing. Like, yeah. And I, I always check thought out about the my, third record. I've never heard it. They have a third record. Yeah, I just saw it. Huh. Interesting. I know they had a second record, but oh, yeah, they might have yeah. four records. Holy crap! <laughs> they keep they keep releasing. Oh, great. Records. As I look at it on Spotify, well, fuck. Now they have <laughs> five records. Five records. Oh wow. man, six. It looks like. <laughs> wow, they just they just keep adding. Them. It'd be funny if they if they're just adding them as you're looking at yeah. them. Like today, they just decided they're gonna oh, add man. like twenty records. As, as long as I don't scroll up on the screen, they don't release any more albums. <laughs> well, listeners, if you want to go down a grave digger's rabbit hole, or uh, uh, Eric is your guide, yeah. or grave hole, <laughs> grave yeah, grave hole. There we go. Or worm us. Morbid. Speaking of Diggas records, oh, wouldn't man. that be a perfect segue into <clears throat> us talking about some records again? I mean, it's yeah, perfect 
It's a good word for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't think of any other word to describe it. <laughs> oh, man. You know, we didn't goof off very much during that bullshittery. No, it kind of. It was of, all very uh, serious. It was very serious. This is how I feel about grunge. This is how I feel about modern music. So, so yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, we didn't goof Jeez. off. And, um, you know, it's uh, maybe next time we should talk about something that makes us both very, very angry and we could start oh, screaming. Hmm. Not at each other, but just screaming, you know, into oh, the We should just start getting abyss. into fights at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> What the hell are you saying I'll about just, me? I'll just take some asinine position on something and then you'd have to defend it and then we would fight. I think it would be funny. Oh, you know what we should have talked about? Mm. Did you watch the Weird Al movie? I have not. I oh, want to see man. it though. I heard that it's never I heard mind. it's I heard it's basically kind of like a parody of his actual life, which is yeah. genius. It is because that's exactly what Weird Al is, is yeah. a parody artist. And I heard that it's like a parody of like, like mm -hmm. it basically like paints Weird Al as kind of being like this over excessive sort of rock, you know, typical yeah. like rock star. It's sort very, of very funny. So you should watch it and we'll talk about it next time. Yeah. Okay. Right. I will. What's what's it available on? Is it on? It's on Roku TV, which Roku I, didn't, TV. I didn't have, and it but it doesn't cost anything. So awesome! No, I've got a Roku, so oh, cool. that means I can watch it. So Roku, hell yeah, Roku. <laughs> now that sounds like a rap name too. Roku. <laughs> what's Check that? Check on <laughs> while the DJ revolves. Are you going to talk about fucking Ninja Turtles again? <laughs> No, no, that was vanilla. I can see ice, where this is going, Dan. Basically the same thing, but I'm now that your you, tricks. Now that you mention it. <laughs> go ninja, go ninja, go. Oh man. All right. We got to the stupid level we needed to be at. There we go. Yeah. I got a stupometer on my desktop here. <laughs> Dude, that sounds oh man. We gotta talk about some marketing ideas and stuff when we're off the air you mean after the show is over and we're not doing yes it anymore. exactly yeah post-mortem post-mortem post-boredom if you're talking about our show <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'm glad that's over <laughs> yeah anyway Oof. let's get into the record shall right. we <laughs> Oh, come on, everybody. It's record time. All right. So my pick uh, for this episode is uh, by a group called Die Monitor Bats. Um, I'll just spell that because it's not spelled right. <laughs> D-I-E-M-O-N-T-I-T-R-B-A-T-S-S. Okay. The album's called Youth Controllers. Controllers with two Zs at the end. Uh, this came out in 2003. So it's kind of an older record. But when I heard it, I was like, if this came out now, I would still find it just as, I don't know, interesting and shocking in its own way and and just very modern feeling. So even though it is older, I don't, I really don't feel like it's um, aged that much. But so, yeah, Die Monitor Bats. It's hard to explain. Um, it's really uh, 
rhythm driven. Uh, the drums are really out front. Think something like ESG, maybe as far as like the sound of the drums. Uh, they are somewhat funky, like ESG, uh, but also straight in their own way. Um, it, it's hard stuff to explain, but I'll try. Uh, it's super raw, intense. I think it feels very wild. Um, basically, the makeup of this band, like I said, is really drums in the forefront, a really wild saxophone doing most of most of the melodic elements of it. Um, there are guitar and drums, but I feel like they are more like creating a background of chaos or more like supporting the chaos um, because the drums and saxophones are pretty rigid. It, it reminded me a lot of John Zorn, um, the earlier John Zorn stuff. Um, especially, I don't remember what album it on, it's on, but the song Disco Volante, uh, not the Bungle record, but the John Zorn song. Uh, it, it just really early on John Zorn kind of stuff. Um, but then there's like a shouted vocal, um, like in unison, kind of the shouty type, I don't know, like Atari Teenage Riot vocals, maybe. Um, I think there's at least two singers going most of the time. The songs are uh, nonsensical in their own way. And, and because of that, they're kind of goofy in their own way or funny, but it's also presented so straight that it seems sort of serious. It's not ironic. It's just strange, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, the the vocals, like I said, are just shouted and they seem to be, you know, basically about some really nonsensical situations. Um, it's very smart and jazzy, even though it's kind of lazy in its own way. And it's also kind of like just obstinate in its own way. And like its attitude, it's very in your face. And I feel like I'm dancing around what this actually sounds like, but I can't quite get there without just saying things that it reminds me of. So, like I said, John Zorn, um, it reminds me a lot of Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, the Dog-Faced Hermans, which is a 90s band that was on uh, Alternative Tentacles, uh, really big sacks in the forefront. Uh, too Many Zoos would be sort of a modern more modern thing that kind of sounds like this. Um, and actually it reminded me a lot of a uh, band here in Iowa city that existed for a while called uh, cone trauma, at, at least as far as how the vocals are delivered. But yeah, it is, I find it hard to pinpoint exactly what this sounds like. Maybe Dan will have some ideas about that, but honestly, it's just really rhythmic um, reminds me of kind of no wave stuff, but also, uh, just has this really intense avant-garde element to it that isn't about art. It's more about being disorienting in its own way. Yeah, and but it does have a really, it's, I think Youth Controllers is a pretty good title for it. It does have an energetic, youthful feel to it. It, it. it feels like something that is very urgent and needs to be said and get out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's all I really have to say about it. So maybe Dan has some more words. What do you think, Dan? Uh, yeah. Um, now, I heard this album 
about the time it came out in 2003, mm, Die cool. Monitor Bats Youth Controllers. Now, for me, and I think a lot of what you had to say about it was definitely accurate, uh, Eric, mm -hmm. but there was a scene of this kind of stuff that was happening. First of all, I don't know if you if you cop this or not, Eric, but mm. um, there uh, this band actually, do you know the band The Gossip? No, uh -uh, I don't. Okay, well, so the gossip were this band that were kind of making waves like around the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and they were kind of like this sort of dancey, for lack of a, this is a very simplistic way of describing, but mm -hmm. uh, dancey punk. This band actually features at least one member of the gossip. Okay. Um, so it at the time that this came out in 2003, mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of this kind of, I don't know, like, as you kind of put it, Eric, disorienting, sort of chaotic, um, sort of noisy, but discordant, mm -hmm. and with, like, start-stop crazy staccato rhythms, mm -hmm. um, dancey, like, sort of beats, mm -hmm. um, and then just these sort of, like, weird shouted vocals there was kind of a lot of this stuff going on at the time and mm. each band that kind of did this, I feel really sort of did their own take on it, including mm. die monitor bats. Um, and so it's to me, this is just like really chaotic, noisy, sort of dancey, hardcore. I know that's a lot of words to mm -hmm. be thrown around, but um, that is heavily influenced by like no wave and, Maybe some stuff like, I, I don't know how you would even describe necessarily the music that shellac makes, but like mm -hmm. kind of like some of the start stop rhythms and sort of like dwellings on like one note kind of reminds me of shellac at times. And then also mm -hmm. like the sort of crazy, I guess, I don't know, this is a really dumb word, but it's the only thing that kind of comes to mind, zaniness of something like mm -hmm. Six Finger Satellite. Yeah, totally. You know, or something like yep. that. And it's this kind of stuff existed. Like uh, a lot of it, it, it kind of uh, was a, it was a moment in time for me that um, really challenged the um, idea of what hardcore and punk could be mm -hmm. um, and what it was. And so it was very, these sort of like sassy hardcore bands that were kind of doing this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, what I really like about this in particular is I love the way how it sounds like just completely. And I know I've described a lot of records like this, but totally controlled yet out of controlled chaos. Like mm -hmm. I, it'll kind of like the songs oftentimes like will have this like really just again, start stop rhythm. I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time kind of getting it out, but then like, like you said, the, the saxophone, which is very like rigid sounding. And then the songs by the time it gets to like the middle of the songs, which is usually like not very long because this, the songs are very short on this, by the way. Um, mm -hmm it kind of like falls apart, but it sounds like it falls apart in a controlled way. Like it sounds like they're kind of like purposely like 
writing these songs as if they're supposed to be like sort of, and I don't, I don't want this to come off in any insulting way, but almost like they were written by like people who are just learning the instruments kind Mm -hmm. of like in a weird sort of way, like towards the end of the song, like, and it's just, I don't know. I, it's always something that has fascinated me about that kind of seemed to be sort of a thing that was happening. And as, as far as like the timelessness of this kind of stuff, I couldn't agree with you more, Eric, that it really they were ahead of they were ahead of their time i think and -hmm. i think uh we were talking about the influence of like electronic music on a lot of today's music i think that this was also an influence on a lot of today's kind of more i guess experimental music especially like some of the stuff that's coming out of hardcore nowadays yeah Mm -hmm. and and hardcore is kind of like it's not even really like um this isn't really a hardcore record it's just kind of like a mixture <laughs> of a bunch of different things yeah that is just really i think it's just kind of trying to challenge the listener a lot a lot of the times and i would say that a lot of the kindred spirits that i hear with stuff like this that these were kind of all bands that were sort of happening around the same time like x models the chinese stars which um had a, a member of six finger satellite by the way a band called the Silver Daggers, especially because the Silver Daggers had a saxophone okay. in it. Um, Double Dagger, uh, USA is a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, the Blood Brothers. Hmm. I would say early liars. Yeah. I know you're familiar with the liars, mm-hmm. Eric. Um, Arab on Radar was another one yeah. that kind of, I mean, Lightning Bolt, Hella, and then also Sweep the Lake Johnny. Yeah, so that you know so, some of these and I hate to kind of compare but I think that if somebody like listens to this and this is kind of like their first exposure to like this kind of stuff the reason why I rattled off so many comparisons is because I think if you like this and you haven't heard anything like it you're going to love all the other bands too that I just mentioned. Yeah, sure. And so yeah. that's kind of how I how I view it. Uh, but I do think that this is definitely ahead of its time and that if it was released today, um, it would sound, I mean, seriously, it, w- it wouldn't sound dated in any way whatsoever. Yeah, you know, for sure. I think that this is definitely a, um, it's a, it's, it's definitely a great challenging sort of hardcore record or punk mm-hmm. record or whatever it is. And a lot of these bands or all these bands that I just mentioned, I feel we're doing, kind of the same sort of thing yeah so, i can see that um cool. but yeah. yeah awesome awesome stuff okay so the record that i picked for this episode is from a band called the interrupters and the name of the record is in the wild um this just came out this year um about a, two months ago i believe and uh, the interrupters are a band from la who are largely known or labeled as a ska band for the most part um which i don't think is entirely accurate which i'll get to uh here in a minute but they consist of vocalist amy interrupter and then three brothers i believe jesse justin and kevin bavona and i'm just gonna say it right off the bat i love this record i um listened to it Mm, pretty close to the first day it came out 
I've known of the interrupters for a while um, because they're on Hellcat Records, which is uh, Tim Armstrong from Ranson's label. Um, and they've had a couple of radio hits that I've kind of in, always enjoyed. But um, I decided to give this one a listen. And honestly, I haven't really stopped listening to this record since I first heard it. It's really basically the way I would describe it. It's just really, really good, like punk rock, like catchy punk tunes with a lot of new wave, a lot of ska, like a lot of ska. Like, I mean, that it definitely is not, there's no shortage of ska on this record or ska influences. Uh, and then I would also say some reggae influences and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um Amy's voice is very powerful. The thing that I really like about it also is that the players, uh, the Bavona brothers are just really masterful musicians, I think. And I just think that they, they write such, you know, um, uh, amazing songs in, in my opinion. Um, and then the other thing that I really like about this record is that uh, the lyrics really seem to be sort of about, letting go of past mistakes and going on a new path. So there really seems to be kind of like a self-healing sort of um, vibe to it, which is, I think is really inspiring. I, I kind of feel like more so on this record than any of the other interrupters records, which I've only really listened to one other record, I believe, and not in near as much as this one. I kind of feel like you're kind of hearing Amy Interrupter's story through her lyrics. So mm -hmm. there's kind of like almost like a storytelling aspect. She's kind of letting out a lot of personal demons and allows some vulnerabilities to come out. And I think that that, that kind of vulnerability or expression is, it's kind of rare on a record that is generally this catchy. Like it, I don't know. And, and, you know, again, that's just my opinion. I'd be interested in hearing your take on that, Eric, if you if mm -hmm. uh, you kind of have one about that. But yeah, I mean, overall, I, it's like I said, I don't really think labeling them just a ska band, I think is you're kind of doing them a disservice. There's really just a lot of like really good, I guess, like for lack of a better way to describe it, pop punk but I don't really want to say that either because that has certain connotations. I do definitely think that they kind of wear, uh, wear some of their new wave influences on their sleeve. Uh, everything from the, uh, the album cover, which almost has like a new wave vibe to it. Some of the songs have like organ and piano in such a way that almost reminds me of something like, um, Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the name of the, who is it that did that song? Do you know it? Who's saying Mickey? Tony Basil. Tony Basil. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not saying that none of this really sounds like that, but kind of does have that vibe from time to time. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, there's definitely a love of ska and reggae, especially, I mean, Tim Armstrong is a guest on a song called As We Live, which also includes uh, Rada Daker. I could be saying that completely wrong or Rhoda Dakar or something like that. And there's like three or four really strong ska reggae influenced songs 
But overall, what I think really is the star of the show here is Amy's voice. It's kind of hard for me to put into words here, like exactly how to describe this. And this might be kind of a weird, you know, this might sound kind of weird for like music that is like this, but she totally makes it work to me. It almost sounds like a cross between a, there's a little bit of like a Gwen Stefani thing from like, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But I say that if like Courtney love sang for like, kind of like a, like sang for rancid or something, then I think you kind of got, at least in my mind, you're pretty close to what's happening here. Uh, But overall, I think, um, I mean, there's horns, there's organ, there's keys. There's a couple of really great ballads on here too, like especially the closer alien, um, where again, I think that there's just, there's a lot of relatable stuff, a lot of relatable content in the lyric and the lyrics. Um, And, uh, but I think overall, if you like rancid, I mean, I think that kind of goes without saying. And I mean, that's sort of, um, you know, a go-to and that's not just because they're on Hellcat, but I do honestly think that there is, you know, definitely that would appeal and also operation Ivy, but also like no doubt the specials, bad cop, bad cop who we reviewed mm-hmm. earlier on the show. And then also I would say like, you know, um, only because her voice does remind me of Courtney love sometimes um, whole, although I, I wouldn't say that they sound like whole, but, there is definitely like that sort of thing. But I also think that Amy, I'm also going to say has, she, she definitely doesn't sound like Courtney love. There's just kind of echoes of that sort of in there. And uh, I would say maybe even a little bit of Blondie or something like Mm -hmm. that is kind of going on here. Um, Yeah. I think it's a good combination of everything. And overall, I just think it's great songs and a great album. And uh, yeah. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I um I liked it. I have not listened to the interrupters before at all. And so I didn't really know what to expect. And I was kind of surprised at how polished it is. I mean, I'm not surprised on their part. I guess I'm more surprised on your pick. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just put it on a short sure. like, oh shit. This is a real album, you know, because like, <laughs> we cover a lot of stuff that, you know, isn't created like this. This, this right. is coming from a whole different uh, motivation. There's a whole different reason for this being made, it feels like, than a lot of the stuff we review. And that's awesome because, you know, I think, I don't think we're stuck in ruts or anything like that, but I think it's um, a lot of times, things being sort of lo-fi or weird or avant-garde or aggressive or whatever, like, you know, a lot of our picks include those elements and that is just the way it is. Cause I think that's what we like and everything, but it was, it was cool to have a pick that was like, Oh shit. Okay. Let's approach this like a, like a real album. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. That yeah, sounds weird, yeah. but so it's very, in my opinion, very poppy very polished um and at its core i do think ska punk is not a bad thing to call it by any means i think that could encompass most of the things that come up but you know like you said there are elements of 
uh, straight pop punk. And I, I don't have another word for it. So if the connotation is bad, then I don't know what to say. <laughs> but yeah, same here. Uh, same here. Pop punk, dub, straight sort of reggae, rock steady. Um, you know, it incorporates a lot of stuff uh, from trad ska to like second wave to even, you know, like third wave ska punk stuff. And it's all done really well. But yeah, you can tell this is, even though I've never listened to the interrupters and honestly probably have heard the name, but never come into contact with them. So you could tell it was an established group, even if you didn't, had never heard it before, like just by listening, because it's beyond confident. You know, it's like every note is perfect. Every sound they wanted to create, they created exactly the way they wanted the arrangements of the songs are like really plotted out and thought about. And, and this is going to sound weird, but it was kind of like listening to a Def Leppard record, you know, like those Bob rock records where every note basically was recorded on its own and Mm. everything is perfect, you know, and I know Def Leppard, whatever you can laugh at them or whatever. I get it. But those records, like, uh, pyromania or whatever like they are feats of production they're amazing and mm-hmm. this sort of reminded me of that like it's very thought out and executed just as well as anything probably that i've ever heard so in that sense like it's beyond clean and it's beyond uh pointed and specific like it's just exactly what it's supposed to be um I loved all the guest spots. Um, like you said, Tim Armstrong, there are a bunch of other people. Uh, and I think the reason I like the guest spots is because the songs almost became uh, a little more tailored to fit the guest, if that makes any sense. And so in some of the tracks, you might have like a, like some kind of, um, I don't know, like a rock steady toaster come on. And so it has more of that that feel to it or whatever or like the song tim armstrong's on you know it's a little more rancidy if you know for lack of a better term even though that's not really a term anyway uh so <laughs> i think that's cool uh when they brought new people in it kind of affected the music and i think that's how it should be like you know if you're gonna bring someone in you're bringing them in for a reason right it still is totally cohesive though of course um even if they strike out on some different kind of modes or thoughts or songs or things like that it's still the same group and it's still presented in that cohesive sort of way uh i mean perfect performances on everything on all fronts the guitar bass drums the horns uh the synths and organs definitely bring up sort of that more like two-tone element like you were saying with the specials and yeah the vocals are great i um yeah, I'll get back to the vocals, I guess. Uh, but yeah, lyrically, I think you're right. I think it, it's sort of like an empowerment sort of record. It's like, um, it is looking back in its own way, but it's also looking forward as a, as a response to the past, you know? And I think that's really cool. Uh, but yeah, I think as far as musical elements and things I would compare it to, Rancid, I think, honestly, the boss tones, and hear me out for just a second, uh, as far as the production goes and the production of, like, the Let's Face It era. Um, I don't know if anyone's uh, 
really familiar with that record. It's probably one of my favorite Boss Tones ones, but it is mm. also production-wise very similar to this. Um, lyrically, it sort of reminded me of that Jim Lindbergh record we reviewed, but instead of mm. just uh, looking back on the past and sort of not really missing any of it or regrets or anything, but just a, a talking about what came before, it was similar to that, but like I said, it was upbeat. It also had this forward-looking element to it, too, which is really cool. Um, I also had specials and madness, uh, especially with the piano parts that you were talking about. Like, Madness was one of, I think, one of the few bands that really incorporated the piano a lot um, and made it awesome. As far as uh, vocally, I, I had uh, Kim Shattuck from The Muffs, which I think is... And people are going to hate on me for this, but I do think that at its core, you could either cite her or Courtney Love, and you would be at kind of the same vocal delivery style. And like I said, I know people are going to be mad about that, but it's kind of the way it is. And then uh, also No Doubt, and not only Gwen Stefani's vocal styles or whatever, but especially the album Rocksteady, which came out quite a long time ago. But it had all the same elements that this record has. It had new wave elements. It had rock steady dub, you know, just ska punk. And it was, in my mind, that's as close to anything that I've heard that sounds like this record. So, and I also understand that the Interrupters probably hate that comparison and fans of the Interrupters probably hate that comparison too. But unfortunately, that's what I have to work with in my listening experiences you know so but i think yeah like dan said if you're into any of the stuff that we mentioned and this style of music and uh you just kind of want to hear some really ska oriented reggae oriented upbeat sort of pop punk stuff then i mean this is it so you're gonna enjoy it absolutely um yeah boss tones that is, that is spot on that is one band that i I didn't even think of. And also Kim Shadow, definitely from the Muffs, for sure. Yeah. I, I just I didn't even those slipped my mind completely, but <laughs> that that's totally accurate, one hundred percent. Well, that's why we um, both review things, right? <laughs> exactly. We both we both have different takes that oftentimes kind of also are very similar. And I think this is one of those situations. For sure. Where you know, we both kind of heard the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, fantastic record. And I, I don't want to give away because I'm sure we're going to do another best of, you know, like episode of 2022. Um, oh, yeah. M- I, maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know. But <laughs> anyway. No, we should. I just have to start that, thinking now. <laughs> yeah, same here. But this is actually, this record is so far. I'm not going to say it is my definitive favorite yet, but it's at the top of the list. It's it's nice. with, it's in my top three so far. I I can't stop listening to this record. It, it also, uh, this is um, so embarrassing to say that it does kind of make me feel a little nostalgic as well. Sure. Like, yeah. because as current as it is, it does kind of, take me back to a time when I was sort of 15, 16 years old and Mm -hmm. listening to a lot of this kind of stuff, like the records that we referenced, you know, 
And I also think that this is kind of a great, because it's not nostalgic in any way whatsoever, um, because it totally is is modern, but mm-hmm. it does kind of have that sort of, that sound that you can remember sort of from like 96, 97, mm-hmm. bit, you know, like you, you, like you mentioned, the, the production on Let's Face It, very mm-hmm. similar, you know, so... Totally makes sense. But anyway, yeah. it's like I said, it's almost embarrassing to say that, <laughs> you know, but because I, I, I think really so. Don't. It plays into everything we experience. You know what it, I mean? Like, that's true. Our our present is filtered through our past. It's just the way yes. it is. Exactly. That's how it always is. So, all right. Now on to the um, next uh, release, which is not a very poppy record mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or tape, I should say. Um, this is our local pick. This is, this is local? Yes, absolutely. And uh, it is from this uh, project called Chachka. And the name of this tape is Chameleon Grievances. And unless you purchase the tape from the Bandcamp, you can also listen to it on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would strongly suggest supporting Jessica, who is the person behind this project. And I'm not even going to try and pronounce her last name. I think it's Jessica Zelinsky, and the D is silent, but that's a guess. And that's what I think it is, but I don't know for sure. So Jessica, if you were listening and I got your name wrong, I apologize. I tried. Anyway, Jessica also plays bass in the band PSYOP. PSYOP um, is, uh, of course... um, the band that also features Dolly, who we interviewed, mm-hmm. who also um, runs Pokey's Records. Yeah. And so, and PSYOP is one of, well, let's see, their roster has expanded quite a bit because we we reviewed three releases and now they're up to about six or seven, I think. Yeah. So um, they're getting quite the uh, profile going. But anyway, Jessica also plays bass in PSYOP. And um, she described it. Now, I follow her on Instagram, and she posted on her IG uh, that she had this tape out, which was what she described as ambient, psych, sound, collage type stuff. And that interested me right away. And I think this was before she set up a band camp for this. Uh, So she just... uh, said if anyone's interested just pm me on instagram and uh we uh so i did and i paypal'd her the money and i actually got the tape um here but i have to admit something happened to my tape player and i have not been able to listen to it mm-hmm. so luckily um i found out that she created a band camp for it and uh so as far as the ambient psych sound collage type stuff, I mean, that's exactly what I, how I would describe it also. Um, I, there's a lot of samples, uh, a lot of background noises that create some soundscapey stuff. Uh, definitely some cinematic type stuff. The recording is very boxy and gritty, which I think is kind of meant to be that way. Um, there's guitars with lots of effects. Um, and a lot of times I'm not even sure what's actually making the sounds, which I, which I love. I love it when I don't know what's going on. And there's also kind of like this 
underneath the compositions, there's always kind of like this weird staticky sound that almost sounds like an old TV with snow kind of trying to like, you know, um, flip the channels to find something, a station that's actually going to come in or, or kind of like switching stations on AM radio and just kind of hearing the whooshing sounds a little bit. Um, there's some synths on here and, uh, yeah. So basically that, I mean, I can't think of a better way to describe it than ambient psych sound collage stuff. There's some droney stuff kind of going on. Um, a lot of it is instrumental. Uh, well, actually it all is instrumental as far as I can tell. I think maybe there's some use of voices in there. Maybe that's kind of what, uh, some of the sounds are that I'm hearing that I'm not sure to nail down, but it is, um, it's definitely for a certain type of, um, listener uh for sure but i also think that it's it's really just kind of a an enjoyable experience listening to this uh one of the things that i think is great is all of the songs seem to be tied together and i i kind of really think and this is why i i can't wait till i can actually listen to the cassette because i have a feeling just listening to it from the band camp that it's kind of tied together as like one piece because I noticed that a lot of the, uh, like the endings of the, of the tracks kind of flow into each other. And so I really do not have a lot of like a lot to go off as far as comparison goes here. Uh, maybe Eric will be able to offer a little bit more as far as that goes, but just, kind of right off the bat i'm thinking like negative land a little bit of godspeed you black emperor and maybe some like some of the more experimental psychedelic sid barrett type stuff but yeah if, if you're into like samples and kind of background noises and um but also also i mean there's some really beautiful guitar work on here um you can definitely hear like some synths kind of going on and a bunch of kind of different instruments. And I think that Jessica makes really good use of a lot of, a lot of weird sounds um, that I think is wonderfully weird. Uh, the last track on here is the title track, Chameleon Grievances. And it's just a really great guitar jam. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to it. Like like I said, I, I kind of viewed it as as an experience. And and for me, the best way for me to listen to this was to put on the headphones. And I, I honestly think that if you don't listen to this, something like this with headphones, um, you're maybe not getting the full experience or at least with a good, like, you know, sound system so that you're kind of getting like, getting everything that's in there. Um, I just kind of laid back and closed my eyes and just sort of let it go. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was really great. What did you think, Eric? Yeah, uh, pretty similar take from me. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, basically I found this to be um, just very immersive, just something you could, it's easy to fall into and stay there. It's, disorienting on its in, in its own way but it's not really aggressive i know that a lot of times the idea of something being 
uh, dissonant or disorienting uh, implies sort of an aggressive or noisy or overwhelming aspect. And I don't think this really has that. Um, it's very subtle um, and industrial in its own way. And it's, it's mostly, it feels like just world building or just creating atmospheres and places to spend some time, uh, contemplative places, you know? Um, and I think, uh, I think it pulls that off really well. Yeah, it is obscured and muffled. A lot of the, the samples, a lot of the noise, sort of noise floor type samples, what kind of makes up the, the atmosphere and the bass sort of level sound. Um, a lot of those are really obscured and muffled, um, which adds obviously to the, the atmosphere of the whole thing. But there's other elements that are really sharp and uh, and clear, uh, mostly in the rhythm or the rhythmic elements. There's a lot of, it sounds to me kind of like, um, maybe like uh, chimes or even um, sound bowls. I don't know if anyone's ever done any sort of like, sound healing or been around any of that stuff but some of those meditative instruments uh, are in there it, it sounds like to me and uh it, it adds this sort of um i don't want to say ritualistic element to it but at least like a a mindfulness element to it where we're we're going through something we're purposely focusing on being there being present that that's how it felt to me um but yeah parts grow out of the static and that's a really nice thing it's like uh like dan said it flows together it flows from beginning to end and it and it does have this wave element to it for me which is things sort of just bubbling up out of the noise out of the static um becoming their own piece for a little while and then you know going back into the it's like a primordial ooze almost if that makes any sense i i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed spending time in this this world that was created and yeah as far as music i could compare it to i don't know i i mean i i'm gonna probably take it from a more industrial viewpoint because that's what it reminded me of so especially nurse with wound that's probably the closest thing that i've heard like this i mean there are elements of cut up stuff like negative land but I, the cut-up elements of it weren't used to cause any sort of humorous response or ironic response or whatever, which I think is a goal of a lot of that cut-up stuff. And so this didn't have that. This was more built on samples. And that's where, for me, that sort of comparison, that's where it kind of ends, is uh, the construction element of it. So... Uh, yeah, Nurse with Wound, uh, Cabaret Voltaire, uh, Psychic TV, rhythmically uh, reminded me of African Head Charge. As far as like the guitars go, it brought to mind Air or uh, Pink Floyd, which the way Air uses guitars a lot of times coincides with exactly how Pink Floyd used guitars. So those are similar comparisons. And on it, this is going to sound so stupid, but one of my favorite scores, movie scores of all time, is from a an old black and white horror movie called Carnival of Souls, 
and it just has this sort of like swirling organ sound through the whole thing. And for some reason, this brought that to mind too, just how everything can drop out and come back and it just has this swirling immersive element to it. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, I listened to it a few times. Uh, I would say if you listen to this and like it, I would definitely check out Nurse with Wound and I would listen to that Carnival of Souls score. Honestly, you should just listen to the Carnival of Souls anyway. But uh, yeah, Chaka, uh, Chameleon Grievances. I loved it. And the last track, like Dan said, I think that was the closest to sort of a tangible song. Uh, And not really song, but at least musical piece that you could grab onto. And it made for a really nice resolution for the album because the rest of it doesn't really have that. And so like Dan mentioned with Godspeed, it kind of had that element of it where it builds to sort of a crescendo and a, and a really uh, pretty piece. Uh, And that's sort of how this resolved because of that last track for me. So yeah, I loved it. I'm going to check out as much as I can of their stuff and, and go from there. So yeah, good pick. Wow. Uh, So we have Instagrams. We have Facebooks. We do. Uh, I like I like how uh, I said we have face like Facebooks yeah. and in, like we have multiple accounts. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, all the Facebooks, all the Facebooks, the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you if you if, if in all seriousness, folks, if you um have any uh anything you want to tell us, you want us to know what you want to know, um, have any artists you would like us to review or just talk to or anything or just talk about music yeah drop us a drop us a message through instagram or facebook yeah and uh yeah man i uh to be honest with you i'm i'm done with my perrier lime now oh wow you're fancy yeah which i think can probably that can signify the end of the show this week, yeah don't you think sure all right out of water out of, <laughs> out of road, out of car, don't know how I'm going to go. Is that a Modest Mouse reference? Yeah. <laughs> out of gas. Oh, man, I love that song. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, um, thank you for listening. And I hope you all have a great uh, couple of weeks. And enjoy the cold weather, Iowa. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye. Ska, like a lot of ska. There's no shortage of ska.